Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. I've been in New York City for 15 years, and we've become diehard Mets fans, so it was great watching the Yankees lose in the 11th inning. It was fantastic. Uh, but really, I mean, encouraged to see what God is doing in the Bay. Uh, I've been here the, the whole week doing some training with church planters, uh, but I am really encouraged and really encouraged. And I'm Presbyterian, so we normally don't cry or otherwise feel emotions. Uh, but watching that video and people coming up out of the waters from death into life makes me say, whew. And so uh, it's just, I'm grateful to be a small part of what you're doing here and just to see the community that God has gathered here as well. Uh, today what I want to talk to you about is uh, a passage from Matthew chapter 5, which for some of you will be very familiar, and it's Jesus' teaching on the call for every Christian to be salt and light in the world. So let me read this text to you. Uh, and then I'll bring a teaching based on the passage. Here's Matthew 5, chapter 8, verse 13 through, I guess it's 16. Uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word to us. Uh, if you look at all the polls out there, uh, all the polls, Barma Research, Pew, whatever it might be, all the polls are indicating that Christianity is in sharp decline. Uh, the fewer and fewer people today would identify themselves as Christians, that there are many, many people leaving the church, uh, especially the young. Uh, there are many who would describe their faith as deconstructing. Uh, and so in many respects, the church is facing something of a crisis. And you might be here today or maybe watching online, and you hear that and you say, that kind of describes me. I have walked away from the church. I'm not quite sure what I believe and maybe you're here with us, and it's the first time in a very long time you've even been open to the possibility of coming back into a church service. And if that's you, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here with Pastor Philip and what's going on in Inspire. We're so glad that you're here. But if you were to ask those people in those polls who've either walked away from the faith or find their faith deconstructing, if you were to ask them why, uh, why have you stepped away, <clears throat> my bet would be that every single one of them would have in their top three responses to that question a single word. Uh, and that word is hypocrisy. Uh, that the people that I've seen in the church believe one thing and that your life is utterly different. Or I look at the people in the church and I ask, are, there a are they any different from the people that we see out there? There's a Me Too movement, but there's also a Church Too movement. Is there any different? Does it make any difference? Are Christians any different from the people around us? So I remember I was talking with a friend and I was saying how, you know, at one point, people who weren't Christians, <clears throat> the question that they were wrestling with is the question, is Christianity true? 
Is it possible that we could in our modern day believe that a man died and rose again from the grave? Is it true? Uh, but the culture today is not asking, is Christianity to, uh, true? Now the question, the most important question is, is Christianity even good? And I was speaking with this young woman, and she said, hey, people aren't even asking if Christianity is good. People are asking, is Christianity even safe? Is the church a safe place to be? Or is it dangerous? And in that cultural context, I think one of the most important things for us to consider is this call of Jesus, the call for Christians to be radically different and to go out into the world as salt and light. So what I want to do in this passage, I want to look at this metaphor of Jesus calling Christians to be salt and light. First, I want to look at what it assumes about Christians. Secondly, I want to look at what it means. What does salt and light mean? And then thirdly, uh, what it requires. How do we get the power to live in this way? Okay, so first, let's look at what it assumes. So this call to be salt and, line, uh, salt and light uh, assumes something that's so obvious that it can be very, very easy to miss. In order for salt to be salt and for light to be light, in order for those two pieces to, to serve their purpose, salt and light need to be radically different from the environment around us. So John Stott, who was an Anglican uh, pastor in, in London, he wrote this. He says, Jesus' teaching here is built on the assumption that Christians are different. And it issues a call to Christians to be different. And then he says this, probably the greatest tragedy of the church throughout its long and checkered history has been its constant tendency to conform to the prevailing culture instead of developing a Christian counterculture. For salt to be salt and serve its purposes, it must be different from the world around. In order for light to be light and to serve its purpose, to dispel darkness, it must be different from the darkness. And in fact, if you look at the passage, look at verse 13. What's the greatest danger that Jesus puts before us in this passage? Verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if... Salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The greatest danger is for salt to lose its saltiness. The greatest danger for a lamp is for it to be uncomfortable in being different from the darkness that it gets placed under a lamp. And what happens to a lamp when it's placed under something that goes out? That the greatest threat, the greatest danger here is for salt to be afraid of being salty. Of light, of being afraid to be light in this dark world. That The danger for discipleship is a temptation to avoid, deny, downplay our difference. And the desire to be like others, to fit in, to be relevant. And that impulse can be an abdication of the call of salt and light. In order for salt and light to benefit environment, it must be different. Now, this difference, though, is not just difference for its own sake. It's not just an arbitrary difference. It's actually something far more compelling. So uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has a great sermon in Romans chapter 12 where the Apostle Paul calls us to not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And he says that the greatest need for our world today is for Christians 
who are creatively maladjusted to society. So he writes this. He says, our world needs a dedicated circle of transformed nonconformists. Our planet teeters on the brink of annihilation. Dangerous passions of pride, hatred, and selfishness are enthroned in our lives. And men do reverence before the false gods of nationalism and materialism. The saving of our world from pending doom will come not through the complacent adjustment of the conforming majority, but through the creative maladjustment of a non-conforming minority. We must make a choice. Will we continue to march to the drumbeat of conformity and respectability, or will we, listening to the beat of a more distant drum, move to its echoing sounds? Will we, risking criticism and abuse, march to the soul-saving music of eternity? Now, what the world needs right now is not the complacent adjustment of the conforming majority, but the creative maladjustment of a non-conforming minority. A group of people who are walking, I like to dream of it as dancing to a different drumbeat. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, of all people, has a quote where he says, those who dance are judged to be mad by those who cannot hear the music. Those who dance are judged to be mad by those who cannot hear the music. To be dancing to the drumbeat of a more distant echoing sound, the drumbeat of the kingdom of God, the drumbeat of heaven. Or another place, Dr. King uh, shares a story where he talks about this need to be uh, uh, nonconformist. And to do that, he tells a story, a pretty famous story of Odysseus and the Sirens. Some of you may be, if you're in high school, I see some uh, younger folks here, you've read the book The Odyssey. And in The Odyssey, it's a story about a man named Odysseus. And at some point, he's there with his crew, and he's in this big boat. And at some point during his journeys, he has to go by uh, what's called the Sirens. These are beautiful creatures who sing this beautiful song. And the song is so beautiful that anybody who hears it, anyone who comes in earshot, immediately gets mesmerized and cannot help but steer their ship towards a rock, destroying everything and everybody. And at some point, Odysseus has to go by the sirens, but he wants to hear the song of the sirens. And so before he gets in range of the sirens, he tells his men, he says, I want you to put wax in your ears. And you put wax in your ears, but I want you to tie me to the mast of the ship. And he says, there's going to be a time coming where I'm going to threaten, I'm going to command, I'm going to, I'm going to shout, and I'm going to demand that you untie me from the mast of the ship. But he says, no matter what I say or threaten or warn, do not untie me from the ship. So they could hear the siren's song and yet not go to his doom. And Dr. King says, well, that's one way to not get mesmerized by the siren's song of this world. But you're tied to a ship. And sometimes you need to do that. But he says there's a far better way. And he says there's actually a very different version of the same exact story. And this time it's not Odysseus in the Odyssey, but it's Jason and the Argonauts. And Jason knows that he's going to go by the sirens as well. And he knows that the power of the siren's song is going, to, is going to draw him. is going to be so alluring. He's going to be irresistible. But Jason knows he has something on his ship that the siren song has no match for. Because he's brought Orpheus, the greatest musician the world has ever seen. And he knows that if Orpheus plays his song, then no siren song could ever capture his imagination. And what Dr. King is saying 
He's just saying, can you hear a more beautiful song than the song that this world sings to you? Can you hear a more beautiful tone? Does your body feel the drumbeat of a greater beauty that drains all the power out of the temptations of this world? Have you heard the echoes of this distant drumbeat? Is your life being tuned to the cadence of a far greater song? And throughout the entire um, Sermon on the Mount, which this passage comes right in the middle of Jesus' longest and most famous sermon, Jesus is showing us exactly what that drumbeat sounds like. He says, here's a community where the poor are blessed. They're not marginalized. Here's a community where mourners are valued. They're not silenced. Here's a community where meekness is true strength. Here's a community that rather they get persecuted for righteousness than persecute others in the name of righteousness. Here's a community that when the world looks in on it, will see an upside down world because this is the community where the world is finally turned right side up again. Here is a radically different community. Are you being shaped? Is your soul being tuned to the rhythm of this new community? So, uh, I'm Korean. Any other Koreans out there? No? All right. That's all right. It's okay. Uh, Koreans, we know, notoriously, we love our karaoke. And I'm great to have a karaoke. My wife's a great singer. She's fun to have a karaoke because she's a great singer. I'm great to have a karaoke because I am mediocre. Mediocre but enthusiastic. So you always need a guy like me. So my wife will go. Everyone's like, I can't follow that up. I'm like, I'll follow that up. <laughs> Profoundly mediocre but really enthusiastic. And after that, everyone's like, I could go after that guy. Uh, but we love karaoke. Uh, and one of the things that my family always makes fun of me for is that I'm the guy that always thinks I know a song way better than I know the song. So just because I hear the song and I'm running and I can sing along to it, and I'm like, oh, I love, this is my jam. I love this song. Like, this is it for me. And so for a while, I had a favorite song. And so I'm like, oh, it's, I know this song. And I'm going to crush this song. And so you have to put in the numbers where you find the song, you put it in the list. And I put the song, and I'm like, I'm going to crush this song. And the song was Despacito. <laughs> and I speak zero Spanish. And so the song comes on, and I'm grooving. I'm like, this is my jam. This is my groove. And it comes on, I'm like, this is all in Spanish. Why did I not notice this is all in Spanish? And so the whole time, I'm just going, uh, Despacito, uh, Puerto Rico, uh. That's the entire time. Here's why I bring this up. Here's why, here's why I bring this up. I promise there's a point to this story. You and I, do you know the lyrics of the song of the Bible well enough that you would crush it at karaoke? If you do, do you, how deeply tuned is your heart and your life to the words of Scripture? Or do you think, yeah, I know the Bible. Yeah, I know that. And then you're out there going, Despacito. 
There's no way you tune your life, there's no way you dance to a different beat if you don't know that music deep in your heart, of heart if it hasn't gotten into your bones. Are you spending enough time in the Word of God that you know that, that you would crush that song at karaoke? Do you know it? Or are you finding yourself getting drawn in to the secondary beats that the world has to offer? Jesus assumes that to be salt and light, it assumes that all of you who profess faith here, that you're going to be joyfully different from the world around you. Not angrily different, not fearfully different, not resentfully different, but you're going to be joyfully different. You're going to be dancing to a different tune, a different melody, a different beat. And those who dance might be judged to be mad by those who cannot hear the music. But when people can hear the music, they say, that is the music of heaven. Are you different? Or another way that a friend of mine put it, and I'll move on here. Another way that a friend of mine put it is he would ask himself, if, some, if Christians were being investigated, if you, had, if you were going to be investigated and said, I'm going to look at this person's life and investigate to see whether there would be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian. Would there be enough evidence? And I'm not talking about like cross-movement CDs and DC Talk t-shirts. and This is not... Would there be enough in your life to convict? Or does your life just kind of look like maybe a nicer version of everyone else around you? In order to be salt and light, Jesus assumes that for Christians, there's going to be a radical difference. In order to serve the purpose of salt and light, the Christian must be radically different must be tuned to a different beat, to the drumbeat of heaven. So that's the first point. Secondly, let's look specifically at what this means. What does it mean to be salt, and what does it mean to be light? We'll take each of those independently, but salt. So salt, uh, if you think about it in Jesus' time, what did salt mean to that original audience? And many, this will be familiar to many of you, but in ancient times, of course, the first thing that an ancient listener would have heard when they said, "Be the salt, you're the salt of the world, is that in ancient times there was no refrigeration. And so salt's primary purpose was used as a preservative. So again, I'm Korean, and what we do with all of our vegetables, anything that could possibly go bad in our cuisine, we pickle it. Why? Because pickling, salt and vinegar, in, that's how you preserve vegetables that we're going to go bad in after a week. So salt was primarily a preservative. What does it mean then for Christians to be called to be the salt of the world? It means that followers of Jesus are meant to be the ones who are working against social decay in the world around them. That Christians can pay attention to all the ways that a culture can go bad and say that's what we're sent into. To be salt is to be placed into, to be pressed into, to be uh, moving into precisely the places of decay, to preserve what's good in a culture. Uh, but salt in the ancient times were also used for healing. So back then they didn't have alcohol swabs, they didn't have any other antiseptics, but salt was used uh, as an antiseptic. And so salt then was not only a preservative where decay is, salt was also meant to be an agent of healing. 
It was meant to go where the wounds are, where the pain is, where the brokenness is. And salt was called to be pressed into the wound in order to bring about healing. But there was a third purpose for salt, which is one that we're, of course, familiar with in our modern times. Salt was also used for seasoning. It was, sent, it was sent in to draw out the flavors of what was already there in the world. Draw out the goodness. Now, I love hot sauce of all kinds, so I do not discriminate. So I love, like, I love Tabasco and Texas Pete. I love Tapatio and Cholula. I love Gochujang and Korean. I love, all, it doesn't matter. Every culture's hot sauce is amazing. I love hot sauce. But what, this hot, what hot sauce does is hot sauce takes a food and it covers over it with a different flavor. So hot sauce covers over a multitude of culinary sins. But, but salt, what does salt do? Salt doesn't cover over the flavors that are there. Salt draws out the flavor that's there. And I think for Christians, Christians have too often been the hot sauce of the world where we try to cover over, replace what's good in the culture. But to be salt of the world, say there is beauty in this culture. There's beauty in this world because this is my father's world. This is the creation of our God. To draw out the good and the beauty of what's in the culture. And so it's salt. To be salt. And as you sit there, think about where is, has God called me to be salt? Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your work, your workplace, and your work industry. But where has God called me to be an agent of preser- preservative, to draw out, to, to, to go into places of decay? Where has God called me to be an agent of healing? Where has God called me to draw out the best of what's in this world that is his? But it's also salt, salt, uh, salt of the world and light, or salt of the earth and light of the world. Now, what does light mean? Now, throughout the Bible, of course, light has a very, very consistent. It is a very consistent metaphor. Throughout the uh, Bible, light always equals truth. Right? You shed light into something. So, light is the truth of God. It's the holiness of God. Now, truth has always has two aspects, doesn't it? If you think about light, there's two aspects to light. Light illuminates, so it sheds light into darkness. So, bringing truth to a place where it makes sense of everything else. So it's turning the lights on. So it's bringing the truth of the gospel into every area of life. But light also has a second property to it, which is just as important, I think. And that's warmth. That light attracts. That there's a beauty. There's a hopefulness. There's a warmth to light. To follow Jesus means to bring truth of the gospel into all of life. But to bring it with warmth with attractiveness, with joy, with humility, with hopefulness. That's what it means to be the light. Now, some of you are great at being light. You love speaking the truth to other people. You love it. You love it. But to be the light of the world means light and warmth. Some of you love bringing warmth and hate the notion of ever having to speak the truth. But to be the light of the world is to bring truth, to bring, is to bring the illumination, light, and warmth all at the same time. Truth and warmth all at the same time. When I was growing up, <clears throat> we were, you know, I'm a child of immigrants, so vacation for us didn't mean that we ever traveled. We just always kind of stayed home. 
So traveling for a vacation. My kids, we go on vacation every summer. Me, I, you guys are spoiled. You don't even know, you know. So growing up, vacation just meant we were running around in the background. We're, un, you know, un, completely like um, uh, un, what's it, unobserved, right, by our parents. It was just like, go, we disappear for the whole day, come back in time for dinner. We had no idea, right? That was a vacation. But <clears throat> I still remember one time we went on vacation. We went down to Disney World and then Washington, D.C. Like, it was a huge deal for us. And so we drove our old station, Chevrolet station wagon, and everywhere we stopped, we always stopped at a Motel 6. And so for me growing up, luxury equals Motel 6. So the best possible world I could imagine was Motel 6. They had cable. They had air conditioning. They had a pool. It was like the greatest thing in the world to me. Because of that, Motel 6 has always had this very soft spot in my heart. I love Motel 6. And there was a, an ad campaign that they did uh, several years ago. If you don't know Motel 6, you don't even remember this ad campaign. But I saw the ad campaign, I was like tearing up because the, uh, the tagline was Motel 6 will leave the light on for you. And I was like, for me? You're leaving the light on for me? But leave the light on for you. What does that mean? We're going to leave the light on to light your way home and a warmth to welcome you in. And when the Bible says, when Jesus is Christians, you're the light of the world. You are. Yes, you. Yeah, you. To light the path for others to find their way back home to Jesus. And to be the warmth that is waiting to welcome them in. The light of the world. Now here's what I love. The early communities that heard Jesus teaching this all of this must have sounded so absurd to them because they were such a small, marginal, inconsequential, overlooked group in this huge Roman Empire. That early community was not impressive. There were no power brokers. There were no influencers. There's no educated elite. It was just a small movement of marginalized people on the far outskirts of the greatest empire that the world had ever seen. And Jesus goes to those people, and he says, you want to know who the light of the world is? It's not Rome. It's you. You want to know the salt that's going to preserve and heal this world? It's not the great powers. It's you. And all of them, this small movement, it must have sounded completely absurd, and yet Jesus says, you are salt and light in the ordinary spaces of life. You, yes, you. And what I love about the image, too, like salt and light, one grain of salt is not going to do anything. But you get hundreds of grains of salt. One little packet of light. What's a unit of light? A photon, I guess, maybe. One photon of light isn't going to do anything. But an entire flood of light can change the world. And so Jesus says to you, inspired church, here in Union City in the Bay, it doesn't matter how influential you think you are. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're in the center of the world or on the margins. It doesn't matter if the world looks at you and stands in awe or if the world looks at you and looks over you. Jesus looks at you and says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. I love using the weak and the lowly and the forgotten for the purposes of the kingdom. And so every single Christian no matter how inadequate you might feel, 
Jesus is asking you in your corner of the city, in your corner of your community, whether it's in your workplace, it's on a basketball court, it's in your child's schoolyard, it's in your home, it's in your family, wherever he has placed you, you are the salt of that world. You are the light in that world. Radically different. Sent into those places. But third and finally, what does it require? So we looked at what this metaphor assumes. Secondly, we looked at what it means. Lastly, what does it require? How does salt do its work? So in my home, I've got my you know, oven. And on the side, we have this little jar that's filled with salt. And every time we pull it out, we pinch it. How does salt work? As long as the salt remains in this jar, it just sits there and does nothing. In order for salt to do its work, someone needs to get in there and then send it out. And when you send it out, as you're doing your cooking, when you send it out, what happens to the salt? The salt feels like it's, it's disappearing into the food. That it's, it's spending all of itself in doing its work. That in order for salt to do its work, it needs to get out and then get in. To get out into the world and get it. As long as it remains in a safe place where it will not get dirty or wet or used up, it does not function in the way that was supposed to do. It's to get out and then to get in. See, how, but how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you respond to a call where it says, it looks like you're telling me to get sent into the world and expend my entire self in the world, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. How are you going to do that? How are you going to go to the places of decay? How are you going to go to the places of woundedness and brokenness? How are you going to go into the darkness? How are you going to expend yourself into all of these places? Well, the only way you're going to do that is if you've experienced somebody coming to you in the place of your woundedness. If you've experienced somebody coming to you in the place of your decay. If you experience someone coming to you in the place of your darkness and spending everything to heal you, to restore you, to forgive you. If you've never experienced someone doing that for you, precisely in the place of your darkest brokenness, precisely in the place of your worst decay, precisely in the place of your darkest darkness, if you haven't met someone coming to you right there, spending everything to heal you, to restore you, to forgive you, to show you that you are beloved. If you've never experienced that, there is no way you can do this for others. But if you know what it's like, if you know what it's like, for someone who didn't have to do any of that, for someone who could have stayed a safe distance away, for someone who could have said, well, you just got to get your act together. When you're ready, you can come anytime, but you got you to figure a couple of things out. But instead left the safety of heaven, left the glory of heaven, left the music of heaven, Stepped into your darkness, into your brokenness, into your sin. You know what happened? When he came into the world to save us from all that, you know what we did? We arrested him, we beat him, we spit on him, and then we put him on a cross. And yet precisely in that place, 
he was dying for the very sins that put him on that cross. Precisely in that place, as we were doing the rejecting, he was doing the healing. Friends, do you know Jesus like this? What's the place of decay in your life right now? What's the place of darkness? What's the place of woundedness? Jesus wants to come in to be salt in the place of your wounds. Jesus wants to come in to shed his light into that place of darkness to set you free. Would you let him do that? You see, until you see Jesus, the only one who's truly the salt of the earth, until you've seen him trampled under your feet for you, you can never be sent out. Until you see Jesus, the true light of the world, being snuffed out in darkness, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In order to give you the light of hope. Until you see him doing that for you, you will never be salt. You will never be light. You will never hear the beauty of the music of the kingdom of heaven. But if you know he's done that for you, it'll change everything. It will make inspired church light and salt right here in Union City, right here on the East Bay, all for the glory of Jesus. Let's come to him. Let's come to him. Let's pray. Lord, would you open our eyes right now? Father, for all of us, even for those who maybe have walked with you for many, many years, Lord, there's, there are wounds that we've left unaddressed. There's decay that we've allowed to fester. There's darkness that we haven't had the courage to stare down. And so Lord, even now, whether we're here and this is the first time we've been in church in a long time. We're asking those questions, is Christianity true? Is it good? Is it even safe? Or whether, whether you're there or, Lord, whether there are people here who have been walking with you many years, Lord, show us these places of darkness and decay. Show us Jesus who can heal us and meet us there. Show us all that before we hear this message, this call to be different this call to be salt and light, Lord, first help us to receive the work of Jesus, the salt of the earth who was trampled under our feet, the light of the world snuffed out on the cross. Help us to come to him, to bring our lives to him. And as we experience his healing and his light, pray that it would send us out into this world to offer that hope, to offer that light, to offer that healing to those around us. So hear us now as we respond with a song, O oh Lord. May your spirit shed this bright light on the beauty of Jesus so that we might walk out of here dancing to the drumbeat of a distant kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name.